This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Welcome to Drilling Deep. I'm your host, John Kingston. Drilling Deep is the place where we drill into an issue of the day, and we're happy today to have Amit Mahotra of Deutsche Bank. He is the head of the transportation research team over at Deutsche, and he's going to join us to talk about his view of the earnings season that we just ended uh, with the second quarter. We're also going, to, also going to talk about his rather interesting take on XPO, as he was pretty critical of the company's earnings on and after its earnings call. He's going to be with us here in a few minutes. But first, I want to talk about oil and diesel, as we always do to start the show. I've been watching oil markets a long time. I've seen plenty of hurricanes rip through the Gulf of Mexico and into the nation's key refining centers in Louisiana and in Texas, causing massive disruptions. I remember the story about a flood in a refinery in Mississippi, Pascagoula, Mississippi, and the flood supposedly brought live alligators into the refinery control room. You know, we could never confirm whether that happened, but it's a great story anyway. I remember Katrina, which knocked out so much power that pipelines couldn't operate and the shortages extended all the way up into the Northeast. And of course, I remember the spike in prices that would happen as all those various storms neared the coast. So I've sat here as first Hurricane Marco, but more importantly, Hurricane Laura have become threats to the U.S. oil industry and really watched sort of stunned, but not completely stunned as the reaction in the price was essentially nothing. If you get Marco, that was mostly a non-event. But as I'm recording this here, Laura has already shut down well over 2 million barrels a day of refining capacity in the Port Arthur Lake Charles region. That sits right on the Texas-Louisiana border. It's also shut in about 1.5 billion, 1.5 million barrels per day of oil production in the Gulf of Mexico. That's about 82 or 84 percent of the oil that's produced down there. I'm not going to quote numbers on the reaction price in, in, in price because by the time you hear this, those numbers are going to be out of date. But the increase has really been incredibly restrained, so small that really they're kind of on par with the normal fluctuations that you might see over on any given day or over two or three days. It just hasn't been that big a deal. And that's kind of why I was half stunned and half not stunned, half stunned because I'm so used to the markets going crazy before a hurricane and not stunned because of the, because knowing that the reason why we've had this limited reaction is the same reason that we've been talking about here on Drilling Deep for a long time. Specifically, in the case of diesel, we still have plenty of that fuel and in inventory in the U.S., and it's pretty much the same situation around the world. If we had too much here and the other parts of the world had too little, we'd export out the surplus. So those surpluses and shortages tend to get balanced over the, over the globe. It's always good to try to get numbers down to a digestible amount, especially when you're talking on a podcast or on the radio. So let's review the day's cover number, which we've done before. Day's cover is what you get when you take demand per day and you divide it into total inventories. That tells you how many days worth of consumption could be handled by those inventories if all production stopped. For U.S. diesel, it was over 50 days for about eight out of nine weeks. That is just unprecedented. It's now below 50, 
but it's still over 48. This is about 10 to 12 days or even more than you would expect for this time of year. And really, that's the whole story in a nutshell. The U.S. has so much diesel in inventory that it does not need to get all worked up about a storm, even as one as big as Laura. But what if, what if this storm really did do a lot of damage to some of the refineries in that Port Arthur corridor? I look back to some past storms that hit that area, specifically Rita back in 2005 and the Outer Bands of Harvey in 2017. That last one, Harvey, caused a lot of flooding in the Port Arthur, Lake Charles area. It was a Category 4 storm when it hit land, but it didn't hit in the Port Arthur area. It was further down the the coast. Uh, So it was the Outer Bands and all that rain that really led to the Port Arthur rain and flooding. The drop in diesel output that accompanied the closure of the refineries then had pretty much run its course after a few months. Rita was different. Rita landed right around that area near Port Arthur as a Category 3 storm, and diesel output didn't fully snap back for more than a year. Now, I'm not saying that failure to snap back was all as a result of the storm, but there were certainly other forces involved in that. But you've got to keep that one in mind as we look to see what happens to the refining center as Laura comes on and makes its exit, and we figure out what goes on next. What's really concerning about Laura are the reports of a huge storm surge. These refineries are built to keep floodwaters out, but are they built enough to keep these floodwaters out? The bottom line is that Laura is going to be a Cat 4 storm, and that is something that the refining sector has rarely seen. Is the market being too complacent in its muted reaction that you see in the tiny gains made by the price? You've got about 2.2 million barrels a day of refining capacity offline, as I mentioned. Can even these inventories that we've got be enough to hold back a market surge if those refiners stay offline for a few weeks? It may be that they can. The day's cover number that I mentioned is so out of whack with historic norms that maybe they can. But at the end of all of this, a diesel market that was way out of balance in favor of consumers might be a lot closer to normalcy. If so, that sweet spot that truckers have now had with rising freight weights and flat diesel prices might be coming to an end. We're going to move on next to Drilling Deep to our guest of the day. It's uh, one of our favorites, a good friend of Freightways, Amit Mahotra, the chief lead transportation analyst at Deutsche Bank. We eagerly await his morning report every day. Right now at the end of August, it's in hiatus. So, of course, we stumble around knowing, not knowing what to do, Amit. Without your, without your report, we just don't <laughs> know what's going on in the world. So, so hurry back after Labor Day. So uh, we are, this is kind of our call that we're doing after the earnings reports are all done and dusted for the second quarter. Uh, we sat in on many earnings calls and Amit was on all of them. And uh, so we wanted to get his view on what was out there. So Amit, welcome to Drilling Deep. John, thanks so much. Great to be with you back again. All right. So there's no doubt about what I want to start with. And that was the XPO earnings. And uh, the reason that I'm asking you this because you were on the call with uh, Brad Jacobs, the CEO, and you were fairly critical of the performance of not necessarily the company as a whole, but the LTL division, which was at, a, at one point going to be the whole company when they were going to spin off everything else for seriously underperforming what happened to some of its peers like Old Dominion and Saya. And afterward, you uh, after the call, you came out with a quick blast report that again was was critical of management and said, I, my, my, I'm going to try to sum up what I think you said was, you got so much going on there. Can you really run an LTL company that big when you've got all these other operations? And maybe your original plan to spin off all these other assets 
was the right way to go. Am I interpreting correctly kind of the point that you were trying to make? Well, I mean, let me let me clarify a few few of the points. I think broad brush strokes, I think you caught most of it, but you know, I think some of the nuances are important here. Um first and foremost, I mean, you won't find an analyst um out there that's been more positive on the prospects for XPO's equity value over the last five years as, as, as me and my team and Deutsche Bank in general. Um, I think the secular forces um, at play here are incredibly positive and beneficial for XPO. And I have been unapologetically bullish on the company and the stock as a result of, of, of those drivers and those forces. Now, with that being said, um, I think that, you know, um, it's not it's not helpful to look at the company with only one rose colored set of glasses. Um, I I think it's it's completely um, fair to call a spade a spade. And with specifically with respect to the second quarter results, uh, um, it was a relatively underwhelming performance when Old Dominion and Saya are losing between 20 to 30 cents for every dollar of revenue that's lost and XPO is losing close to 60 cents for every dollar that's lost. It's, um, it's, it's totally appropriate. And Oh, by the way, it's what I get paid to do and what my team gets paid to do to, to, to highlight that underperformance and, and ask tough questions of the management team. So I think you could do that while still maintaining a very positive overall um, view which is which is what we've done. So I think you're right in what you characterized it, but I just wanted to add some nuances in terms of the overall, you know, lens in which we view XPO, which is still quite quite rose colored, I would say. <laughs> right. Well, let me let me ask in general though. You you you. I know you spoke to XPO management after that phone call. Uh, you continue to look at them. You had a, a buy. Well, you continue with a buy rating, but you also had a kind of short term opportunity, which you closed out recently. Um, what do you think was the cause of this uh, relatively poor performance? Yeah, I think I think. Listen, I think if you look at the um, you know in the LTL, the profits in the LTL business were seventy percent, seven zero percent of the company's total earnings in the quarter. Um, and when you look at the LTL performance, clearly. Um, their competitors, particularly their non-unionized competitors, SIA and OD, just did a more robust job at taking out costs um, than than XPO did. Now, I will say, and, and by the way, you know, since that earnings call, we've hosted about 25 investor meetings with XPO. And so we've been able to really drill down on this and understand this a little bit better. Um, we believe, you know, with strong conviction that XPO, in fact, did um, the outcome that they had was was a managed outcome. Um, we think the founder, chairman, and CEO Brad G. Jacobs made a decision early on that this was a global pandemic. Uh, we were not going to be aggressive in the cost takeout of our employees, which are, by the way, wages and benefits are about over fifty percent of the total cost structure of a typical LTL company. And so, while our employees are dealing with global pandemics, we're not going to cut wages. We're not going to cut hours. We're not going to cut 401k matches. So I would say that, you know, they made a conscious decision to not, um, you know, cut every, every single um, cost item. And, 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 you know, and, and Old Dominion and Saya 
um, were more aggressive on that front. So when you look at labor costs, clearly uh, XPO underperformed. But when you look at non-labor costs, so the stuff that has nothing to do with labor, um, their non-labor costs were down 15% in the quarter. ODs were down 20, size was down 10. So they were kind of in the middle of the road right there on the non-labor side. So it was really this decision that Brad Jacobs and the management team of XPO made that um, was was hopefully will build loyalty within their employee ranks because they 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 were not aggressive in what was a very unique downturn and recession. Well, what was your take uh, earlier this year on the plans to break up the company? And then, of course, they reversed that. They reversed that when the stock market was at a bottom. Uh, the market has rebounded. I don't know if XBO has recaptured all of its prior highs. But what was your view of that strategy? Well, I mean, you know, one thing that we've always appreciated about XPO, and we've written this in our research, is that one of the one of the positive investment points of the company is Brad Jacobs' capital allocation strategy. We think that if you own XPO shares, in part, you are buying the um, the capital allocation prowess of, of Brad Jacobs, which has been tried and tested for three decades. Um, now, you know, when you look at a company's equity valuation and valuation in general, you don't do it in a vacuum. You do it relative to peers and and and, and competitors. And uh, when ODFL, Old Dominion, which is obviously the highest quality company, I think, in transportation and logistics, is trading at 18, 19 times EBITDA, and your valuation, your LTL valuation, implicitly trading at eight times EBITDA, um, then there's some value creation opportunities that I think is the fiduciary duty of a management team to explore. So I, I think, I think uh, you know, back in January when they announced this, I think it was the middle of January, if I remember correctly, stock was in the low 80s. So today it's actually higher than when they first announced that. It, it, it rebounded then to the, to the, to the mid-90s and, and low triple-digit levels when they announced that. But the bottom line is, is that it was simply this understanding of if we can, if we can have a standalone debt-free LTL company that has the same margin prospects as Old Dominion, we can get a, a higher multiple the implied valuation of all the other faster growing asset light piece, which implicitly should have an higher equity valuation when you think about capital intensity and the importance of capital intensity and valuation, is trading at incredibly low valuations. So I think Brad Jacobs and the management team were highly opportunistic and they said, listen, markets are at all-time highs, credit spreads are an all-time low, uh, the debt markets are obviously very, very strong. This is the right opportunity, if, if there ever was one, to try to capture that dislocation and valuation. And of course, COVID hit. And by the way, you give you have to give credit to the management team because they said, this is our path unless the world changes. And guess what? Unfortunately, the world changed. The yeah. world changed, exactly. Yeah, because sometimes you get dug in on strategy and and that's going to be it. So uh, let me ask about the, the the other LTL companies. They they perform very well. And uh, was do you think the LTL valuations were have been set in part by the prospect, and obviously now a prospect that's gone away, that capacity would diminish with the RC, uh, with the YRC, excuse me, with YRC going out of business? You know, we, we, we were never, and we've written this a lot in our research over the last, you know, five months, um, where we, we've done a lot of channel checks. And as you may have seen, we've done this geofencing data where we've actually mapped every over a thousand, I think 1300 LTL centers around the country where we can get actually a daily um, read on, on daily tonnage trends or shipment trends. Um, it's not perfect, but it's a good sense. And it's, it's really the only thing out there in terms of gauging LTL volumes in a real-time basis. 
But in, in that work, um, you know, we did not find significant um, shipper behavioral changes as it relates to YRCW. So we never thought that YRC was going to be, you know, the, you know, go into receivership or liquidation, and that would be a boon for other companies. I would also say that this is a very different time than 2009, where most LTL companies like OD or, um, or XPO, they don't have a lot of spare capacity hanging around. In fact, the LTL industry as a whole has been incredibly disciplined over the last 10 years on capacity growth, which is why they've been able to keep their pricing discipline so strong. So, you know, be careful what some some people wish for, because a, a YRC liquidation could actually drive a lot of disruption to other companies, LTL networks. And of course, in a network based business, congestion and disruption it can be quite disastrous. So we actually think that, you know, YRC, we were surprised by what we definitely deem as a bailout, but we were surprised by it. But nonetheless, we think generally it's probably a net long-term positive for the industry, um, at least with respect to risks around disruptions in the near term related to overflow overflow demand falling into other networks. Yeah, well, that's interesting because I think the, the, the quick conventional wisdom glance at it would say capacity going out of the market would be good for everybody else. But you're right that the kind of pricing pressure that you saw in truckload that drove numbers down in March and April to such low levels uh, and are now sending them, shooting them higher are very different in LTL. So let's talk about truckload. Um, I listened to many of the phone calls and wrote about a few earnings and they all said the same thing. April was terrible. May was a little better. June was really pretty good. And we're going into July and things are fairly strong. And uh, I think most of the uh, earnings were beats, uh, beat consensus. Most of the revenues beat consensus. Uh, how strong did you see the quarter? Oh, you know, I I think you characterize it as fairly strong. I spoke to a, um, um, an, a very senior executive of one of the largest truckload companies in the country. Uh, I won't mention the name of the company, but, you know, they characterize it as the truckload party is raging at the moment and all the kegs are still full of beer. <laughs> I don't know if that's the perfect, uh, perfect analogy, but, but um, you know, we obviously track truckload demand supply on a, on a fairly real time basis with, with all the data sets that we have at Deutsche Bank. And it is incredibly strong, John. I mean, um, demand is really up and to the right. Um, we've seen uh, July, um, you know, July 4th, after July 4th seasonally, you typically see a lull and August is nothing really to write home about. But freight flows have accelerated every day, every day um, from July 4th up until really yesterday even. So every day I look at the real time data, things are getting better. And, you know, today, you know, um, I think carriers are seeing incredible freight selection opportunities where we believe that over one-fifth, over over 20% of, of loads that are tendered to carriers are being rejected right now because of freight selection opportunities. So look out for third quarter earnings. It's going to be, as we said recently in a research report, it's going to be a bonanza uh, for truckload companies. The risk is, and the question is, is that the peak? Does that spur a lot of orders? So it doesn't necessarily translate to um, the equity values um, one for one, and you have to be a little bit careful there. But nonetheless, I mean, the truckload cycle is raging right now, and there's no no doubt about it. 
You, you know, it's interesting thinking about the pandemic. You think about the airline industry and the, the havoc it's caused, and they're talking about really not getting back to where they were for two or three years. You think of all sorts of entertainment and artistic type of endeavors, and they're the same way. You know, they're going to be hurt forever. Massive amounts of restaurants going out of business. When they write the history of the pandemic for trucking, will the pandemic be like this three, four-month blip and we got right back to normal? I mean, that just doesn't seem possible, but based on the numbers you're seeing, well, and certainly we're seeing in sonar, that's very similar. Well, I think there's several there's several reasons, um, and 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 one is obviously, you know, when the shutdowns occurred in March, um, that drove this this huge surge in in essential good items, you know, personal care products. There was a national toilet paper shortage. Um, I mean, believe it or not, you know. Um, Midwest out to LA is a backhaul lane, and and it, it was it was a raging lane in March because you know most paper products are produced in the Midwest, and they and Los Angeles is a major demand center. So so it just goes to show you how in March what happened really benefited the trucking companies. Now April was horrible for truckload companies. It was really bad because you had auto production shut down. Um, and then, of course, you had some of that surge dissipate in, in the month of April. Um, but what was interesting about this is, is that, you know, China, the, 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 the pandemic hit China early, then China started bouncing back and you saw a big increase in imports from March into April. The problem is when all that, all that inventory hit the ports, um, the U.S. started shutting down. And so you had all this trapped inventory at the ports. In fact, there were some trade, you know, freight waves mentioned it. Other article, other publications mentioned it. How port ports were actually searching for warehouse space to uh, keep all the inventories because the retail customers just couldn't take delivery of it because they were all closed. As that started to open up over the last month to two months, you're starting to see this surge in pent up demand release of inventory out of the ports, which is why you're seeing these congestions out of the West Coast. The last thing I would say, so all that stuff is is there. The last thing I will say is I think retailers have been somewhat surprised by the strength of same store sales as as they reopen. You know, when you look at tractor supply, comps up thirty percent. Um, Walmart comps up nine percent. When you look at Target or or Lowe's, comps up thirty five percent. I mean, this mismatch we're seeing between same store sales and inventory is enormous. And if you're a supply chain manager at one of these retail companies, the last thing you want to do is be short on inventory. And so we're seeing these, this surge in demand for truckload capacity to basically be able to keep up with the same store sales growth. So I would say the jury is still out. You know, We may be still in a honeymoon period where reopenings are continuing. Um, the stimulus checks are certainly helping. Uh, there's no visibility that this will continue. But we, but 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 we think the way we characterize it is so far so good. The mark, the demand for truckload capacity is incredibly high right now. Stimulus needs to continue in order for that to continue, in our in our opinion. But the jury's still out on that. Well, let's talk about capacity then in terms of drivers. Uh, I write the story every month at Freightways about the unemployment numbers. And what I found interesting was they had when the numbers came out in early August for July and June. The initial June numbers revised downward 
So there were fewer jobs in June than they originally said back in July. And then the July numbers were up only 2,000 over that. And this is really pretty amazing when you consider that the market, as you said, is raging. That should have shown, you would have thought that that would have shown up in the July numbers. And yet you had, you know, it's really minor, relatively minor number of new jobs in trucking between June and July. And the June number was lower than it was originally. This really foretells uh, prices to continue rising or you know, freight rates to continue rising because it just doesn't look like the capacity is coming in in terms of drivers you know, getting off of getting out of what they're doing and getting back on the road. Is, is that your view of things? Well, certainly. I mean, you know, one of the reasons we've been so bullish on transportation and truckload stocks for the last year and a half is because, you know, in a fragmented market like truckload, downturns actually sow the seeds to an upturn. And it also works vice versa, by the way. And what I mean by that is, is that when the market is 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 weak and bad and it's not profitable for an own, owner operator or small fleet to, to, run, to run trucks, um, fewer trucks are ordered. And when fewer trucks are ordered, fewer trucks are delivered. And when fewer trucks are delivered relative to scrap, it just stays pretty consistent at 8, 9, 10% of the fleet, you get shrinkage of the active class A population. So what we have said in our research is, is that this year we estimate between 3 to 4% reduction in the Class 8 fleet. And also next year we expect a 3 to 4% reduction in the Class 8 fleet just based on the mathematics of what's being sold and what's being built versus what's being scrapped. And, and when you have you know, a 5 to 7% reduction in cumulative truckload capacity, that is a massive supply-demand adjustment in a flat demand environment. And it's an and it has an exponential effect when demand is rising, and so um, so that's that's what we're seeing now, John, and that's what you're talking you're seeing now because at the end of the day, you don't need drivers for trucks that aren't there. But the risk is the risk is is that and the market's forward looking, so the market's debating this right now. The risk is is that we're in right now in a good truck truckload market getting better, and what are the risks that new orders start to tick up? And in fact, we've already seen that. You know, new orders of Class A trucks have gone from five thousand a month to over twenty thousand a month in the last three months. So that there is, um, you know, the the order, the the good market will sow the seeds to a downturn and vice versa. I don't. I think it's still early to make that call, but certainly over the next six months, we'll be watching new order trucks very, very, very carefully to inform our opinion about what the truckload market could look like in the second half of twenty one or early. Well, well, why don't you come back in sometime over the next six months and we'll wrap up the conversation. Always available to talk to you, John. Thanks so much for having All me. All right. I'm a Mahotra of Deutsche Bank. Joining us today on Drilling Deep, you have been listening to Drilling Deep, as I just said. We are part of the Freight Cash family of podcasts from FreightWaves. You can find us on all the major platforms for podcasts, Apple iTunes. You know the whole drill. We hope you join us again. I'm your host, John Kingston. Thank you very much. Mm-hmm.